1: Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you've missed any of my Talk Radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy.
2: Talk Radio. Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on Talk Radio.
1: Good morning to you. This is Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley Brewer. Thank you so much for your company. Uh, Benjamin Butterworth uh, from the iPaper is still with me. We'll get his thoughts on my next interview up next. Uh, Health Secretary Matt Hancock joins us now. Good morning to you.
2: Good morning, how are you? Very
1: well indeed. I wore my face mask in the cab this morning, wore it in the lift at work, not wearing it right now. Um, as of uh, uh, the uh, the next Friday, next week, it's going to be compulsory for me to wear it in a shop, but not uh, in a workplace where I, I sit with people all day right next to them. Uh, well, no, two metres away, but uh, certainly closer than I do. with Two metres apart, I'm two glad meters, to hear Two metres apart, no, it's all very all very well done in the talk radio office. Yeah. But yeah. but I, I can sit closer to someone on the train, uh, but just yeah. for a couple of minutes, and I have to wear a face mask. What's the sense about that? Why have you come to that reasoning?
2: That's exactly the reason uh, behind the rules as they are. And that's because a face mask can protect others if you are transmitting the virus, if you're with them uh, for a short period of time. But if you're with somebody in the same room for a long time, then a face mask won't make a uh, significant difference uh, what you need is that is the social distancing the two meters or the one meters with mitigations like you know in some cases a perspex screen um or uh, or other mitigations if you, so if you, for instance another example is a teacher in a school if you're in a classroom with kids for all day a face mask wouldn't make any difference but where it does make a difference is when you're in contact with somebody for a short period of time for instance in a shop on public transport, uh, because there you're cu- coming into contact with lots of different people, uh, and and um, uh, uh, and and for a relatively. Uh, a short period yeah, of time, so is, that's why a face mask. That's where a fa- face mask works, and that's why the rules are as they are.
1: Okay, well you, you did say yesterday you said that yeah, people working in shops, uh, shop assistants, they actually had one of the highest rates of of coronavirus, and, and this was burnt down to it. It does go against some of the uh, advice and medical evidence we've been given previously. Um, are you planning to enforce it though, in anywhere else other than shops? So people have been asking, I know about workplaces this morning. We, we've been told oh, it's not going to be compulsory in this country uh, previously. Uh, is this likely to move from? public transport to shops and then on to other workplaces or other well, other places we visit regularly
2: not in offices no and and um, the reason for that uh, is that we have the rules in place um, okay. for office for how offices operate and uh, you know the covid secure guidelines and um, and and as I set out the science, uh, of course. Now the science is always being updated, and we're constantly learning about the virus. I mean, that's one of the issues of that about ch- tackling this virus is that we knew nothing about it six months ago, and now we know a lot more. So, uh, of course, we con- we update the policy when the science. Uh, learns more, uh, but we're not proposing to do this in offices okay. for the reason that I said. Right.
1: Well, we, we know that, the, according to SNAP polls, the majority of people are in, are in favour of this, but they may not necessarily be in favour of the policy being compulsory. If you, you know, give people the evidence, you tell people you know, why it's necessary, and why this is about looking after other people, not just your own, your own health, it's about being a good citizen. Why does it have to be compulsory?
2: Well, we did bring this in as a recommendation, uh, at the same time that we made it compulsory on public transport. And we've just seen a much, much higher uh, rate of people following the, the, the rules on, on public transport. Um, the, uh, you know, the truth is that uh, we've seen throughout this lockdown, the British people are a very law-abiding uh, lot. And when we bring in a, uh, a, a rule on something uh, that makes it mandatory, the vast, vast majority of people immediately follow suit. And that's that that's good. Uh, it means that we can have very light touch enforcement um, and it means that we can make these sorts of uh, changes confident in the knowledge that people will get on with it. And and so so you know, we did bring it in as a recommendation. But unlike public transport, people weren't really. Uh, following it, so we've decided to make it mandatory.
1: Okay, well, I mean, you say light touch enforcement, but who is going to enforce this? I mean, I you know, I, I travel on the train. There's at least one person in my carriage every single day. Normally, a young man refusing to wear a mask. I don't know. Maybe they're all asthmatic and, and have anxiety issues. I don't know. But we are going to be seeing some some scenes in in shops, you know, news agents, big supermarkets, and the like, where you've got security guards having to face off with uh, star, uh, customers who are refusing to wear these masks. A lot of people will say, "Well, I've got a health reason, mental or physical." Why I don't need to? Do we not need some way of identifying people who are not required to wear the face mask?
2: Yes, I've heard that idea, and uh, I'm, uh, we're not going—we're not proposing to bring that in from the government. But I have seen a, a number of uh, innovative, sort of uh, you know, thoughtful ways that people can demonstrate if they have uh, an exemption from this policy, because there are important exemptions, exactly as you say, Julia, uh, and also children under the age of 11 um so there's a um people will have reasons not to um and uh, it's important those those reasons are important it's important that we uh respect that but uh, as you say i mean you were talking about your tube carriage with one person you know the, the the vast majority of people are following the uh the guidelines but people and, do and, get and
1: resentful don't they if everyone if they're following the guideline is sitting in a yeah. hot uncomfortable mask or, or shopping yeah. in a hot uncomfortable mask they're gonna be a bit annoyed that someone else isn't wearing one but is reaping all the benefits of everyone else being a good citizen
2: well that's right and and but the you know this making something a social norm making this the way that people um operate is a part of how we've responded as a community to the virus isn't oh. it i mean it, it was it, that was true in lockdown when you know, if you walk too close to somebody on on the pavement, you got a bit of a stern look, which is a very British way of uh, expressing your displeasure. It's, it's,
1: it's pretty much how we how we express <laughs> all of our emotions—a stern look on, on the pavement. Um, let's let's talk about let's talk about the very stern possibility of a second wave. Now, I understood um, uh, talking to people in government uh, in the recent months, there was actually not much concern about a second wave. The belief that actually uh, Britain, although we'd had a very high, we'd had a very high death toll uh, early on, that we were not going to be looking at a, a second wave we'd not seen second waves in many of the other countries around Europe that have come out of lockdown much sooner than us. But now there does seem to be serious concern that we could this winter face a you know, double whammy. Maybe if it's a cold winter, a bad flu season, coronavirus hits again, things get very difficult again. Can you guarantee to my listeners that we will not go into another full lockdown, whatever happens?
2: Well, I'm not going to make that that's any guarantee. Um, the, after the six months I've had, uh, you'll you'll understand why. The Prime Minister
1: um, said a few weeks ago there would not be a second lockdown.
2: Well, the thing is that in healthcare, you know, you I, I as Health Secretary uh, never use the word guarantee because it is a uh, it's a risk based business. So that's a, it's just a principle I have of doing my job. Um I, I'm asked to, you know, I was I'm asked to guarantee uh, lots of things. And it's a, um, you know, the, but, but being health secretary, you do come across some uh, unexpected risks coming through. So um, the, the but the point is that we can we're going to you know, we don't want to see a second wave and we will tackle it. Um, we will tackle the problems that lead to a second uh, wave uh if we see them for instance through the local lockdowns that we're seeing um you know Leicester a couple of weeks ago and then uh, this morning um uh in uh, the you know action being taken by local councils to uh to, to tackle so, an You're a, a saying the
1: we've got we've got the we've got the testing and tracing capacity up and running to prevent a second wave. And have we got the yes. PPE available for care yes. homes and NHS? Yes. Well we were told that I mean we, we had quite a few months to prepare and we didn't have it last time round, but but are we going to have it this time round if we did have uh, one?
2: We're we're building we're rebuilding that stockpile right now. Well you say
1: we are rebuilding that right now. Okay, yeah. so it's it's the fifteenth of july by what yeah. date will we have enough PPE that we need we can get through a second wave if we have one. Because if there is a second wave, it's going to be around the world, isn't it? In which case, it's going to be the same pressures that we faced in, in February, March and April in stocking up on PPE. Should yes. we not be just buying up every bit of PPE we can right now? It's a lot of money, oh. but you know what? It'll last a few years. It's not, it's not going to hurt us to have it.
2: Yes, that's exactly what we're doing. Exactly what we're doing. And um, if you think about it, PPE is currently being used right across the NHS and social care. The the challenge last time was that suddenly people went from previous business as usual to using PPE all of the time. We're now in the position of run, using PPE all of the time, uh, and so what you know, winter is always harder for the NHS. It's always harder for people's health because it's colder, and well, that's true, COVID or no COVID. Okay, yeah. Okay. And um, the the uh, and so we we are building those PPE stockpiles. I haven't given you a date because it's kind of a uh, you know, we 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 are building the stockpiles to have the PPE well, that we need. There's you, no data attached to that. You, you it's just know, that we're, we're going to hold it.
1: you to this one, um, Secretary of State. Let's also yeah. talk about. I mean, I want to go on to why we just briefly after this, but but we 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 know. Um, you know, with with the concerns about a, a second wave, that we've still got those Nightingale hospitals. They're all you know mothballed, sitting there waiting to go. Why can we not, given that we've got that capacity built up, are you were able to get enough ventilators, get the stuff back in? Why can we not return our, largely our NHS hospitals back to doing routine uh, surgery, routine treatments and stop having 10 million people uh, who are set to be on the waiting list? Why can we not make sure that people are getting cancer referrals, being treated for heart disease, getting uh, all the treatments they need right now? Can we not now actually say coronavirus patients will go to specialist hospitals and the rest of the NHS is going to carry on as it would normally?
2: Yes, that's exactly where we're going. How soon? Uh, well, it, it, that is being put in place as we speak. Um, there's one, just one thing I wanted to explain, which is slightly different to how you asked it, which is in some places you can make a whole hospital, a, co- a coronavirus hospital mm. and another hospital completely free of it. In other areas, like especially in rural areas, you can't do that because there's only one hospital serving that community. And so you need to split the, the hospital itself into what are called green and blue areas. But we are we are in the process of splitting the NHS into Covid and non-Covid areas uh, for exactly the reason that you set out and and ramping up the number of other non-Covid treatments, which, of course, are so important.
1: OK, and also let's talk about Huawei. Obviously, big bigger political decision announced yesterday by your colleague, the Cultural Secretary. Um, Donald Trump uh, overnight has uh, claimed credit for the decision to U-turn on having Huawei's involvement in the 5G network. Was it down to Donald Trump?
2: This is a technical decision. It was based on advice from the National Cyber Security Centre, and uh, I thought that the Culture Secretary set it out very well in the Commons yesterday.
1: Um, so um, this is this is simply a matter of, uh, of Britain acting in its own best interest. Nothing to do with a bit of arm twisting by the Donald. Uh,
2: well, it's a it's a technical decision. I mean, the uh, you know advice from the National Cyber Security Centre mm-hmm. is how, is about how you can build a safe and secure, high-quality 5G network that's going to help us with our mobile phone signal for many years to come.
1: Well, we know, of course. I mean, that broadband, mobile phone signal. This is going to be crucial. Five G uh, to Are uh, the reopening of the economy, the build, build, build. The prime minister talked about. He's going to talk more on Friday about getting the country back to work uh, um, and uh, and you know and building ahead uh, you know, of the future and moving out this lockdown and getting people just back in their offices. And like we saw that economic news yesterday, pretty dire news about uh, no V-shaped recovery um, being being on the cards just yet. How concerned are you? you about the economic repercussions and the health fallout from oh yeah that.
2: oh it's serious it, the economic repercussions are serious julia and you know this is um it, it's a very difficult problem uh, and we've got to keep the virus down so that the economy can recover you know we talked on this program a couple of months ago about how there isn't a trade-off between the economy and health because what you need to do is get the virus right down and then you can reopen the economy and that's exactly what we've been able to do, and um, the, you know, that, that plan is working, but we've got to get it right under control.: Across the U.K., online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk radio.:
0: Selling a little? Or a lot. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio
1: app. Talk Radio. Right now, let's talk about it with the former foreign secretary for the Conservative Party, Sir Malcolm Rifkind, who joins us. Good morning to you, Sir Malcolm. Morning. Well, we've spoken many times about, you know, what the future should be for Huawei. Uh, What was your reaction to the uh, announcement from the Cultural Secretary yesterday that uh, as of 2027, uh, uh, no no, uh, Huawei involved in 5G or any network in this country and uh, nothing new from the end of this year? Do you welcome that?
3: Well, I think it was sadly necessary. I wish we didn't have to be in this situation, but I think there's two reasons why it's become necessary. One is a purely technical one. Uh, Huawei 5G would rely on chips supplied by the United States <coughs> or by other companies, and the United States have introduced sanctions to prevent that happening. So that, that is a technical reason why Huawei are not very attractive at the moment. But quite apart from that, Uh, there is the wider political deterioration entirely because of Chinese government behavior. It's partly Hong Kong. We are obviously particularly uh, responsible, ethically responsible, to try and help what we can with the people of Hong Kong. Uh, But in addition to that, there was the coronavirus crisis uh, where the Chinese government lied, not only to the rest of the world, but to the Chinese themselves, denying that it existed for a crucial few uh, weeks. Uh, There's their treatment of the Uyghurs and Uh, That's almost a million Chinese citizens of Muslim background who are being incarcerated in so-called education camps. And I could go on with half a dozen other examples. I mean, exactly.
1: That—that's just what's happened this year. I mean, that's the—that's the, that's the giveaway, isn't it? But there's been some criticism that this is um, Boris Johnson only six months after uh, we were told standing up to the United States, going along with what Theresa May had agreed previously, oh. um, and uh, uh, and actually allowing Huawei uh, to to go ahead despite the U.S. exhortations that they they, they didn't involve uh, Huawei. Um, actually, now being sort of well kowtowing to, word, to yeah. the uh, uh, to to the United States. But as you say, this is actually a pure. Really practical decision, isn't it, by the National Security Cyber Council that it's we not, are, are the, the kit won't work and and, well, and and none of that kit can use any American technology or design or manufacturing process at that point? Um, you have to make a choice, isn't it? It's it was a choice between going with China and going with America, and we've gone with America,
3: yes. Well, that you're what you say is correct insofar as it goes, it was a practical change since the original decision, yes. which justifies reconsideration but it would be in not ingenuous to imply that that was the only reason uh, the fact is that the original decision was a few months ago uh, and that was based purely on whether we can manage the risk from huawei uh, in terms of 5g itself and the advice from the intelligence agencies and from various other experts was yes it the risk can be managed. And it was against that background that Johnson's government took the decision to allow them to continue, albeit in a restricted way. Uh, What has changed in the last few months is the whole relationship with China because of Chinese behavior. Six months ago, we didn't have the crisis in Hong Kong of a kind we have today. Six months ago, we didn't have the coronavirus originating in Wuhan and the Chinese trying to avoid responsibility uh, for it. Uh, So these are qualitative changes, which mean that not just Britain, this is not just a British response, and not just United States, Australia, Canada, uh, a number of European, Western European countries, and also countries in Asia, uh, China's immediate neighbors, like Japan and South Korea, Vietnam, a communist country, looks to the United States as its ally to protect it against China. That demonstrates the kind of changes that have, have been taking place all since Xi Jinping, it took part, but I say all, most. Since he took part. I
1: mean, yes, and- a lot. I mean, there, that's it. There was a lot of hope, a lot of expectation in previous Conservative prime ministers, including David Cameron and George Osborne as his Chancellor, uh, as just mentioned by my guest, Benjamin Butterworth. They were very much courting um, uh, the, the Chinese, um, and you know, wanting investment. And we see, you know, this investment in nuclear power stations, Thames Water, Southwestern Railways. Uh, their money is all over the place in, in the UK economy, in very, very, uh, you know, big projects. Um, but there seemed to be a view that, look, we, you know, we're going to trade with China. China is coming out of this. Uh, Uh, of communism and totalitarianism. And this is going to free up, help to free up the Chinese economy and then the Chinese state. Um, This this has not worked so far. Uh, Is there a prospect uh, that it might work in the future? Or do you think Xi Jinping is the key problem?
3: Well, you you could say there was a degree of naivety four or five years ago uh, in believing that China would liberalise and become more democratic as part of its economic development. But of course, what has happened is actually far, far worse. It not only has not liberalized and got more open to the wider world in terms of its political values, uh, since Xi Jinping took power, it's gone the other way. It's much more authoritarian, much more totalitarian in a way that even the Chinese people did not anticipate, so far as we know. He didn't explain that if he became leader, this is what he would do. Uh, But that is what has happened. And so most of the main criticisms you see of China as we speak today are matters that did not exist uh, in in the same degree uh, three, four years ago. And and that, I think, has to be borne in mind.
1: Um, Can I also ask you about the other big uh, stories at the moment, uh, particularly the issue of face masks? Um, Are you in favour of face masks being compulsory for people in shops? And do you think, as is being mooted today, that, uh, that they should go further and they should be compulsory in all workplaces?
3: I I think it's right to encourage it. I'm uncomfortable about making it sort of legally mandatory. And, of course, whatever you decide, and it's all being done for the best of reasons, uh, is is itself arbitrary. I mean, we're going to have the rather curious situation uh, that you and I will have to wear a face mask if we go to the local news agent to buy a newspaper, uh, but not if we go into a restaurant to eat a meal, because you obviously can't eat a meal with a face mask on. Uh, So as restaurants and uh, and cafes have always been thought to be particularly uh, a worrying problem, we now face this anomaly. That's the one place you won't be expected to wear them.
1: Um, again, but there are going to be these anomalies, aren't there? And we know, you know, other countries like Germany, Spain, Italy—they've had these in place uh, in Europe. And France is going to be bringing in uh, a ban. Malcolm, um, sorry, 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 sorry. Emmanuel Macron uh, has uh, that idea of President Malcolm Rifkind of France. Well, yeah, Emmanuel Macron I guess, I guess, has announced I guess, I guess, that, that. Guess, but, of... like, we're just uh, going to go along with what everyone else is doing. Really, it's nothing unusual.
3: Well, I, I'm not suggesting it is unusual. And indeed, in parts of Asia. It has been accustomed to wear face masks even before the coronavirus mm-hmm. uh, outbreak uh, began. Uh, but it is a restriction on the freedom of an individual citizen to be expected to cover their face. Uh, for, now, I'm not saying that's wrong. I accept uh, the current context. With the coronavirus uh, case, I, I have no objection when I go on public transport. I was on the tube, uh, and I've been on buses, uh, and I'm very willing to put a face mask on. I think that's right and proper. And it may be true also in shops. But uh, I hope it's temporary, not not long term. Okay.
1: And just finally, can I also ask you about concerns about the economy? We had the latest predictions from the Office for Budget Responsibility, the Treasury forecasters yesterday. That uh, V-shaped recovery doesn't look very promising. If you can see some of the graphs, we've got with that massive, massive fall uh, in uh, the uh, GDP in uh, in April by 20%, and then only 1% growth, 1.8% growth. Sorry, uh, in the next month, uh, we're looking at possibly two million of those nine million people who've been furloughed. Those people losing their jobs, not recovering until where we've been at the beginning of this year, until 2024. Um, Do you think overall that um, that the the government has handled the economic side of this as well as they can, or are there things they should have done or should do now, including the Chancellor looking at the capital gains tax as a potential source of income? Do you think that's the way forward?
3: I think the way the government have handled the economic side of this is actually far better than some aspects of how they've handled the medical uh, problems associated with the coronavirus. Uh, the fact that they immediately uh, launched through the Chancellor of the Exchequer's announcement of the furlough scheme, I mean, that was world leading in the scale and nature of the response. And since then, they've been very, very sensitive in doing what can be done. But I do make one point before we get too gloomy and too pessimistic. Each time we've had an economic recession in the past, it's been because there was something fundamentally wrong with the economy. Uh, either prime mortgages or the banks were improp- behaving improperly and that there was a need to reform the financial and banking system on this occasion the economic crisis hasn't come about because of the economy it's come about as a byproduct of the need for lockdown to deal with the virus and as we've now come out of lockdown to a very substantial degree uh, i'm no economist so this may be over optimism on my part but i think it is entirely logical to expect A considerably speedier recovery than would have happened if the original cause of the uh, economic crisis was economic, and it wasn't.
0: Online,
2: on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app talk radio.
1: Let's uh, talk about uh, a a big uh, study by Oxford University, a team of epidemiologists, mathematical modelers and economists. Yeah, be afraid, be very afraid. They've released their independent analysis of the uh, trends in the number of coronavirus infections on the Isle of Wight. Bearing in mind, of course, Isle of Wight was where we had that uh, first phase of the test and trace programme, you know, the one that um, we've not been so sure about, including the very first version of the NHS contact tracing app when, yes, that was still a thing. Well, let's talk to Dr. Michelle Kendall, who's a senior researcher at Oxford University's Nuffield Department of Medicine. Good morning to you, Michelle.
4: Good morning. Good morning.
1: Um, in terms of uh you know, this so we've got, you know, medical experts, scientific, uh, mathematical experts and the like, uh, looking at uh, these these trends. What did you find from this trial in the Isle of Wight? What did we learn from it?
4: Yeah, well, what we found is a really good news story for the Isle of Wight. Um, they started off with um actually one of the, the worst R numbers, that the R number is for every infected person, how many other people you'd expect them to infect. Um, back in March, April, the Isle of Wight wasn't doing particularly well. Um, at the point when test and trace was brought in on the 5th of May, their R number was almost exactly one. And um, within a couple of weeks, it was down to 0.2, 0.3, a really rapid decline in the
1: number of infections. It's... And and, and, we, that, and we, do we have any evidence that that was what was happening across the country? We have seen a massive decline in, in the in the number of infections, but the R rate we told this morning, I mean, people have been saying it's very close to one, it was far too risky, but we're told actually the latest evidence from the 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 sort of the household service when they go door to door, choosing families at, uh, or households at random. And I think the R rate is now 0.5 to 0.7. So a, a darn sight more encouraging than close to one. But is there any evidence that... What was happening in the Isle of Wight was different from what was happening elsewhere
4: right absolutely yes, so that was the next thing we looked at was we we compared the Isle of Wight to other areas of England and the u k and we found actually that drop in the Isle of Wight was dramatically different from elsewhere um so uh, if if by one of our measures um if you looked at the Isle of Wight um in in March April, it was ranked 147th out of 150 regions. It, it was performing quite quite poorly in terms of that R rate, and then by um, mid May early June, it was in the in the top ten. It, it had really gone straight up the rankings, mm. um, outperforming um, comparable areas. And in fact, we we reckon that um, when a comparable area was seeing an R rate of about 0.75 and the Isle of Wight was on 0.25.
1: So it was... Yeah, that's extraordinary, isn't it? And how much of this do we think was down to the contact tracing? How much this was perhaps the focus uh, that that was given to the Isle of Wight at the time?
4: Right. So we can see from our our study um, that the the timing of this drop is absolutely in line with the introduction of test and trace. All we can really say at the moment is that this combined effort of the big launch, massive advertising strategy, real community spirit, um, the widespread testing and the contact tracing, both human and app-based, we can see that all together as a package, it seems to have had a really positive impact. And what we'd like to know now is which specific aspects of that had the most impact. Um, And the data we'd really need to see from that is, for each person testing positive, how, how many of them had already been contact traced? Because that gives you an idea of how well contact tracing is staying one step ahead of the virus. Across the UK,
2: online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio.
1: Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10.
0: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years.